everyone. Welcome to the voice of Dr. Yan, and I am your host, Dr. Limeng Yan. In this episode, again, we have our honor to invite Edward Hogland to join us to share his opinions, his experience, and the intelligence, in especially in the cognitive world field, with our audience. Edward Hogland is a retired federal senior executive and a U.S. Air Force veteran. His over four decades of service include serving as a senior leader in the intelligence community and the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, Energy, and State. He served as a senior advisor to, serve, to several intellectual intelligence agents, agency heads, the Assistant Inspector General of Inspections for the Intelligence Community, the chairman of CIA strategic planning, a deputy team led for the uh, INF on-site nuclear arms inspections in the former Soviet Union, and as a world-winning CIA intelligence analyst. He's currently an independent consultant focusing on cognitive warfare. Also, he is a regular host on the National Security Hour on the Mark Outloud Talk Radio Network. Hi, Edward. Welcome to join my broadcast again. Well, thank you, Dr. Yen. Very pleased to join you again. Uh, I really enjoyed the last conversation we had on cognitive warfare and look forward to today's discussions. Me too. That, I mean, there are a lot of things I want to discuss with you. And also I read your uh, work and you have uh, done very amazing work on the uh, intelligence field. And especially you focus on the cognitive uh, warfare and the tactics. So uh, and at the beginning of our discussion, I just want to share something like including my own uh, feedback uh, during my contact with the uh, uh, IC uh, people in the US during the past three years, and also some feedback from my very close coworkers who have also this kind of contact with US IC. And when we want to share or when we want to discuss some uh, opinions or intelligence, especially some exclusive intelligence with them, we could feel that uh, there's something make us confused. Uh, for example, uh, there, uh, there are some kind of uh, information for our Chinese people. When we talk to you, we thought it would be uh, easy to understand because by default, we made these opinions based on our decades of lives in China because mainly me and my friends were born, were born in China, grew up there and moved to U.S. after we finished uh, university studies or even more. So when we give this kind of opinions, uh, after a while, we would realize that actually um, many or most of Americans we talk to are lack of the, um, how to say, deep or lack of the very even basic understanding of current uh, communist China society. And especially they cannot understand a lot of motives 
For example, when we talk about, let's go back to the, uh, the always I like to take COVID origin as an example. When we talk about that, um, the evidence we have seen, we analyzed, pointed to the lab origin. And also we can see that our Chinese audience can understand the logics and the evidence very easily and quickly because they have this kind of knowledge of the Chinese society and the government. But instead, the Americans always want to know why, because the logic doesn't fit their uh, existing understanding. And like they based on the American culture, Western culture, which is, I mean, very great. The people respect human lives. So they can't understand CCP, uh, CCP thinking or their motives. And when we try to explain to them, it usually takes a lot of efforts because we first need to convince them this is not conspiracy. And also they need to verify by themselves. Anyway, if it just happened to the, uh, like the public, it's okay. However, it also exists in many of the uh, intelligence uh, agents, uh, agents we uh, contacts when we met. So mm -hmm. that makes us feel kind of little bit uh, frustrated because we thought they should be very professional and uh, collect a lot of information, digest, and it should not be that difficult for them to digest all this kind of information. And also they require uh, some kind of standard fit their own protocols to process this information, which is very hard sometimes for us to uh, collect so much information because, you know, China controls information very strictly. And uh, so these all the things make us feel that could, do you think there would be some way, according to your opinions, why this kind of things happen and because China now has already uh, moved to the new phase against America. It's flexible. It has its own protocol and very uh, in a very wide spectrum. And also they are using the various unrestricted tactics to attack, undermine America. So in your opinions, what do you think Americans should do, especially the professional intelligence people should do to make their, I mean, to accelerate this pace, to not only follow what China's doing, but also proactively do something to change the situation and to let China realize that America wake up and also uh, this can to uh, how to undermine their unrestricted tactics in America? No, no, so it's a great question and, and, and very, very uh, much appreciate the insights you have given me based on your experience with our intelligence community. And so there's a lot to unpack there. So let me, let me start by saying that uh, a lot of what you're talking about goes back to uh, what I've written about and spoken about previously as I, I lecture each year at the Army War College on cognitive warfare and I'm writing a book right now on cognitive warfare, based on the paper, The Future Military Intelligence, CONOPS, and S&T Investment Roadmap 2035 to 2050, The Cognitive War. 
that the reason I put that paper out there is, and specifically it addresses a lot of what you're talking about, is because let's start with just the trade crafts. And so United States intelligence community trade crafts, I think, is is been broken, been broken for a long time. And what the trade craft is, is really how do you, you know, conduct analysis, how do you conduct operations and other stuff. And when I speak to this in my paper, it's really the intelligence community uh, in the U.S. was created uh, in World War II, right post-World War II, in industrial age. And with that industrial age and the various stovepipes, so everything was economic, social, political, in a country, you, you used to have all sorts of analysis that would do uh, a whole country perspective. But the industrial uh, tradecraft approach segmented all that. So it became uh, more and more difficult over time to get a holistic view of any country or such. With that, then you add to that, there's an inherent, as you said, in my opinion, bias uh, by American intelligence analysts and officers based on their training. So they're trained in a certain trade calf, how to apply uh, the analysis, how to apply different intelligence resources and such. But even in my experience, and this goes back to 1984 uh, through 88, uh, when I started off with uh, the CIA as an analyst, uh, but being part of the United States Air Force. At that time, uh, the tradecraft taught you well how to write and other things. But in terms of using the available sources of information and getting at the specific facts, there was uh, inherent laziness on the part of the analysts. Yeah. And what I think part of what you're seeing is that inherent laziness. The other aspect is is because they don't they they have a preconceived notion based on what they've been taught and learned and culturally what they hear inside the community. Uh, now, add to that the recent uh, over the last four, three, four decades, the growing but more prevalent politicization of the intelligence community and the fact that the current administration and the prior Obama administration were both very deferential to uh, not only Russia and China, uh, but look where it's gotten us. <clears throat> and so with that uh, self-deception, in my opinion, uh, and with that laziness, you can, you can see that reflected in, for example, this year's uh, intelligence community assessment that comes out of the office of the Director of National Intelligence. Each year comes out. And in this year's edition, what I found astounding was, was two things. And this speaks to the politicization of the intelligence community. The first was, is that the two main threats are China and Russia on one hand and two, climate change, all right? Mm. So on, on climate change, they provided no analytical rigor analysis or facts to support the assertion that climate change is in fact the existential threat, as they call it in the in the report. Yes. But in the report, they go to and refer to the fact that China and India are the two drivers for this climate change, right? Yeah. So that's interesting. And for the China threat, they make no mention really of the COVID or the China flu and the purposeful uh, release of that, in my opinion. And they make no mention of unrestricted warfare or of cognitive warfare. And so 
going back to my, my paper I wrote a number of years back in, in 2018, for, purposely to, to highlight these things, uh, there's a lack of understanding that we're in a, actually in a cognitive war and not a kinetic war. So the intelligence community, again, built in around the industrial age, same thing as our Department of Defense, has always been focused on kinetic actions, you know, missiles, bombs, and et cetera. But as you know, and as you've discussed in your program, the real war is a cognitive war. It's a, it's a war in the cognitive domain, domain of the human mind. And it's a means to then deceive, uh, drive deception, uh, impede, imperil, and confuse the enemy uh, to get them to do what you want. And it can be very peaceful in manners, but very uh, nefarious. The other aspect that that uh, is going on in the intelligence community there is that with the industrial age structure and processes, they're stuck in that industrial age a, a, a operating apparatus. While Russia and China have moved into the information age and under Xi and under the past Chinese leaders, they've taken a more whole of government approach one, because they can, they can do it very easily, but two, because their teachings from years ago, starting with Sun Tzu, tell them about using the whole society in terms of warfare. So uh, to sum it up really quickly, the laziness or tradecraft stuck in industrial age uh, mindset, structures, and policies, and an inability to realize that we're in a cognitive war, not a kinetic war, is, is uh, what I would for, uh, say about why you're seeing that lack of intellect, uh, understanding, or uh, continued questioning by our, our IC folks. Yes, uh, when you mentioned that it's lazy, it's, the, it's a mindsetting problem, and also it is uh, that the difference set in, uh, setting in U.S. side versus China and Russia, basically you use the word that industrial age versus information age. Yeah, that is really, uh, you, you describe the things we have seen and we have felt in, uh, especially in the past uh, three years, uh, based on my own knowledge and experience. So, uh, for example, when you talk about the industrial age, I would, um, I mean, I would understand it uh, briefly as the, uh, the thing we are based on the data, uh, we are based on the uh, workflow protocol and you step-by-step -step to uh, get the standard protocol and follow uh, this, this kind of intelligence to do your work. However, China and Russia has going to the other phase uh, Phase, which means they can use information, create the false misinformation, false data, false facts to uh, go back to take the advantage of this kind of uh, protocols you established in the uh, past time. So that means when they fit, when they know the weakness of your process, and they can fit you with misinformation and unreliable data that actually can uh, disturb your uh, analyze and can create a lot of problems in the processing of the intelligence, right? Oh, so exactly. So so I'll go back to uh, my theory of the information equilibrium. I wrote a quarter century ago. 
Oh, it yeah. speaks, speaks exactly to what you're talking about. And for me, this theory is the basis of all cognitive warfare. And it deals with the control or flow of information. And in simple terms, the more open the flow, the more democratic societies, uh, advancement, economic, et cetera, the more restricted the flow in simple terms, theocracies, tyranny, despotism, communism, et cetera. But within that theory, though, going to your point, it's really saying, okay, so if I control the flow of information, that means I can use facts, I can use deceit, I can use wrong data, I could feed different information. But when you take a look at the theory and you take, okay, then, then and you start to network, you network, as you were talking about, the processes and flows of information that the intelligence community uses or just and any day citizens use. And this is why uh, applications like TikTok are so, so dangerous. Because once you start to map that flow of information, you start to understand, okay, what information is being received? What information is being passed? By whom and for what purpose? Yes. Who are, who are the key influencers? Who do they listen to? Who do they believe? And so now I can start to map out an attack service in the cognitive domain to your point, to start to feed certain biased or deceptive or false or even factual information, but factual information that drives home my desired objectives into those processes, into those people, into those networks. And that's exactly what the Chinese government does, not only internally, but does extremely well externally with, when, you know, with the Confucius Institutes, with their engagement with you know, U.S. universities, uh, everything, including engagement with the FBI, where they, they got the FBI to cancel their Chinese espionage program because there was a concern by Chinese citizens from China that they're being monitored. So isn't that right? <laughs> they're here in the United <laughs> States and they're considered, and so the, 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 this woke administration was look at that uh, as being a biased uh, type of uh, 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 action against Chinese citizens, whereas espionage is espionage. But to your point, that's exactly it, is that it's a control of, of that deception and the flow, flow of information that they're, they're doing very well. And, that, and the Chinese government has taken the time to not only collect the information to start to map what I call the information environment, map those information flow networks, but also taking the time to culturally, politically, economically, and all these different function areas, understand, understand the semantics, the, the linguistics, the anthropological aspects, all those aspects to make sure that when they hone their message or they input the information, they have the most optimal effect. And, it's, and, been, and they've done extremely well, unfortunately too well. Yes, sir. So actually, I I see something very interesting that when well, I see how American people, researchers, in, in IC agents or others treat the data versus like the, the Taiwanese government, like communist China to treat the data, the information. Uh, because when I see how China understand America, one of the very important uh, reason is that Chinese government has put millions, billions of dollars every year to encourage the Chinese student researchers to, of course, including the espionages to 
studies the data released uh, from the U.S. government, from the U.S. academic community, or even send them to U.S. to work with your uh, laboratories or the think tanks to see the data, collect the data, which can uh, reflect the whole picture of a market society, government, and people's opinions. And also, when they treat the, uh, however, when they treat the data from China, I mean, they basically just, we Chinese all know, the, the government never get, give you the real statistic data. They just create the data using the Chinese statisticians. And they will tell you, say this year, COVID-19 uh, didn't kill Chinese people. And uh, most of Chinese people even not get infected. We protect them very well in the zero COVID. And you see our climate change and uh, we China is a leading uh, country to protect the climate and you should learn from us. And you say we have changed our poverty. Chinese people are all get rid of poverty now. No poor people in China, they all live in a happy lives. And all this thing, <laughs> yes. what they publish, we know with Chinese people, even you don't need to have education, uh, as long as you have common sense in China, they know, huh? don't listen to them, right? We know yes. what happened in China. However, to my surprise, I have seen a media in U.S., in the institute in U.S., and on social media, those experts talking about this data, they said, you see, China said the data from China, this is official data. It says that this kind of good achievement, we should not be conspiracist. We should do our analyze or conclusion at least based on part of this data. And if, if I tell them, now this data totally, I mean, will mislead you, they will question me, could you prove that? How, how could I give them that kind of official document to prove China government is lying? From who will Xi Jinping give me that document? So this go to a dead end sometimes. <laughs> I, I really feel that is- the... it, it, it is It is truly surreal. <laughs> what you're explaining because here in the United States that you've seen since you've been here there's a good portion of the population buys hook line and sinker what the mainstream media and other folks say yeah. our intelligence community the other big problem with the intelligence community is they rely mostly on their what I call the secret sauces the special uh, secret stuff behind what we call the green door Mm -hmm. rather than on the 99.9% .9 of available information in the open source realm, meaning data you see flowing back and forth that you can collect from any and of multiple sources. So because American analysts, in my opinion, have poor tradecraft and they're lazy, they then go to those secret sauce uh, systems and stuff, and then everything else on top of that is sort of added potential value. First is the opposite way around. They need to use the open source information to more fully understand it, as you're saying. Like China is. China, as you said, spent billions of dollars to send their students here. 360,000 to 370,000 students in the United States. Now, and then the billions of dollars they spend buying American media platforms. So, for example, The Hill Magazine. 
that reports on congressional activity stuff. It's sponsored frequently by who? TikTok. Yeah. The Washington Post, the New York Times. You'll see complete ads in there about China. It's complete propaganda. Yes. But they don't call it that. They put it out there as fact. So Americans are also, like our analysts, fat, dumb, and lazy, and and don't take a look at this stuff and understand that this is part of an overall propaganda and disinformation campaign, part of the cognitive warfare. And so it's very hard, and, and, and I can understand your amazement, when they ask you, well, can you prove this stuff? This, that my response back to them is, well, you're an intelligence officer. You should prove me that I'm wrong. I'm <laughs> telling you from a Chinese citizen's perspective what reality is. I've been there. Have you been there? The answer is no. Have you lived there for most of your life? The answer is no. Do you have 360,000 students in the U.S. going to China each year? And do you quiz them? No. And so you should believe what I'm saying, at least take it in partial truth, and then verify it through your own methods. Don't ask me to do your work for you, right? This is where the American intelligence analysts are lazy. And this is why our whole national security apparatus is needs to be overhauled because of the facts you're pointing out here. Now, we cannot compete with China in this ongoing cognitive war if we continue to segment ourselves into what I call the titanium cylinders of sub-excellence, simply stovepipes. And that's what we do. And so everything's segmented, everything's built around structural walls, and information is then held within each of those walls. Whereas in China, that open source information is passed wide and far to broaden the perspective, to help them understand to the best possible extent what's going on in the United States. Now, one last thing I'll say is that that goes on, and, and I've seen a number of, of Chinese trolls on different uh, social socialist media platforms. I call them socialist media platforms because I think they're also compromised. But they they have very extremely poor trade traffic and a very poor understanding of the United States in terms of the, the trolls they have on there. However, there are some very smart people in China that have a much more strategic and long-term perspective, and they're, and they're extremely effective, and in, in, in especially with the weaknesses you're pointing out from my perspective of our intelligence community. Yes, uh, as you said, I, I, it did take me a lot of time to understand. So what should I provide to uh, them to let them understand CCP's tactics and also those evidence? Because initially I thought I, I'm a witness. I'm also a person come out from that country, I know the culture, I know the society, I can provide my perspective. However, even when I provide the information or intelligence, you should treat it as at least the clues. And also, I mean, you are the professional intelligence agents. So you guys should uh, do your work to understand whether it really uh, useful, or if not, we can go back for more discussion or doing other things. But Turns out it, it kind of uh, gave me the task is if you want to provide information, you'd better provide the whole theory from the beginning to the details <laughs> to the hidden things and all the evidence. But the best thing is you you should give me some uh, signature from Xi Jinping or video from Xi Jinping to tell people 
saying, I asked them to release the virus. I want to kill Americans. Uh, if, if not, that, that can be considered as incomplete. Oh, you have to find me several more witnesses to see the similar things as you to help us know, okay, now yes. we have the high confidence. If not, you say even DOE gives the conclusion that the COVID come from the lab in China, and they said they use low confidence as a word to describe. And yes. I mean, of course, China will maintain the confidence low. How could they release a lot of witness? After me, they already get totally angry and post the state of security law in Hong Kong and also grab all the Wuhan researchers' passports immediately after my escape from Hong Kong. How could you expect more? And if not, this is low confidence. And if this is low confidence, you won't treat it seriously. Are you doing something called democratic votes? The majority votes win. And but no, this so so what that if, if if you don't mind me interrupting. So what what that goes to is the politicization of our intelligence community, and the fact that they have an inherent bias. And so they're listening to the think tanks who tell them about China. The think tanks who are funded by China. Yes. Right. They'll listen to them and believe every word they say. But they won't give a, a dang bit of attention to folks like you. And so DOE's low confidence was the same thing that General uh, John Ratcliffe, the DNI, under Trump administration before he left. He highlighted that this probably came from the lab. But mm -hmm. you remember the, the woke administration then buried that information for over two years. And so this goes to politicization. Not only that, from my perspective, it goes to what I think is we have a compromised president in the White House who is beholden not only to Putin, but to Xi based mm -hmm. on his son's antics, antics and, his, and his business dealings. And this is treasonous, but people don't want to believe what they see, which I've written about a number of times, that our analysts don't want to believe you because it doesn't fit their nice, neat, little prepackaged notion of what is actually going on. And mm -hmm. it scares the hell out of them. So it's better for them to just ignore that and stick with their half-baked theories rather than listen to someone who actually knows what's going on. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I do agree with your opinions because they they rather want to ignore it. They want to ignore it rather than um, spend more time to change their own thinking, their own knowledge, and to or even that was someone already misled. And they still want to maintain their existing thinking because that would reduce the troubles and also that seems a safe way no challenge and no risk but that's not the intelligence people should do because they have to take risks because they need to protect the national security and their people so yeah i, I would like to discuss more in the next section and now let's have just a short break and after this short break we will go back continue our conversation with edward thank you The Wellness Company shares your values and fights for medical freedom. They put patients before profits and follow medical science, not political science like doctors on the left. Their chief medical board, which includes Dr. Peter McCullough, are the makers of the incredible American-made high-quality spike formula. If you worry about spike proteins, go to twc.health and use promo code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount. Once again, that's twc.health, 
promo code OUTLOUD. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code OUTLOUD and get 20% off. America Outloud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Outloud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to the voice of Dr. Yen. And this in this episode, our guest is Edward Hawkland, who have very extensive knowledge in the in, uh, intelligence uh, field with uh, working with many uh, experts over four decades. And actually, he's a leading analyst and expert in this field. And we have just discussed a lot uh, about the uh, uh, how to say problems or the things we feel concerns in uh, existing in the U.S. Uh, intelligence system versus the current uh, information war, cognitive war for, uh, from China and Russia against the U.S. And we do feel there are a lot of things we want to discuss because clearly the more we talk about, the more uh, I can feel that this uh, this kind of different opinions uh, in America and in uh, in Americans and Chinese uh, are based on the culture culture difference. And Edward, I have seen that you mentioned in your uh, white paper in twenty nineteen on the cognitive warfare that culture you define it as a policy plus people plus process. And I do think this is a very interesting and actually very helpful uh, brief is, uh, explanation for culture. And would you like to spend some time to uh, let our audience know why do you make this kind of uh, explanation for culture? Because we want based on the understanding of culture for the cognitive war tactics. No, no, thank you very much, Dr. Yan. And so uh, that, that's a great, uh, great uh, question there because culture is very, very important no matter uh, what region of the world you live in or here in the United States. But in the United States, you'll hear frequently inside our U.S. bureaucracy that it's going to take years or decades to change the culture. Well, that's just clear BS because as you said, Policy plus people plus process equals culture. So what do I mean by that? So when you go to an organization 
whether it's CIA or you go to the Department of Defense, they have set policies in place. The policies say, here are your guidelines for how you will operate. Here are your guidelines uh, for how you will conduct certain things. You add to that those guidelines, then the processes. So out of those policies, people create uh, processes. So for example, in, in the CIA, we want to create an analytical process to support the policy that we have to provide good intelligence. So they'll develop their trade craft and here's the type of things you need to look at for certain sources and such. So again, so they'll put a process in place. Well, policy and process, so policy guidance, process is how you implement the policy. But to implement the policy, you need an actual human being. That's where the people come in. So combined, the people executing the process in support of the policy creates a culture in an organization. And over a period of time, that culture gets instantiated within that organization. So as you've heard probably frequently, I would think also in China as well as here, is, well, it's just how we've always done things, right? A lot of people thought that's how we've always done things. So why should we change? Because <clears throat> they're stuck in a certain cultural dynamic or cultural rut. So in our intelligence community, that's what I talked about. We're stuck in the industrial age. We're in industrial age cultures, which is based on industrial age policy, industrial age processes. And we have new generations of people coming in who didn't grow up with that set of policy or processes. And they become very frustrated inside the intelligence community or inside the U.S. government bureaucracy because it's very slow, it's very unwieldy, and, and it's uh, very hard to change because, of course, we've always done it that way. <clears throat> That's where the Chinese have an advantage because of a dictatorial system, uh, one case, but also because they understand uh, and understood some time back that they could continue to operate with those old cultures to survive in the information age. So China moved to a whole of government, a whole society approach. They reorganized how their military, the civilian, their industrial elements work together. The United States is decades behind in doing that to optimize the U.S. industrial power, our intelligence power, national security apparatus by leveraging the inherent strengths and ties between those different segments of the society. So from a cultural perspective, we're stuck with a bunch of industrial age cultures. And that's why you've also seen over the decades they've become much more politicized because those industrial age cultures and policies have been reinforced now with layers of like-minded thinking bureaucrats who do not wish to disrupt the bureaucracy. Why? Because they're rewarded not based on what they achieve or what they produce or what kind of outcome, they're rewarded based solely on how much people, how many people, how much, how many programs and how many dollars they control and how much information they control. So you can start to see is the US modus operandi here in the information age is a self-defeating proposition. Our culture is a self-defeating proposition in the ongoing cognitive war because our reward system is completely broken and rewarding the wrong thing. So yes, the policy plus people 
plus process defines the culture of an organization. I'll give you one, one quick last example. So there was a company, <clears throat> BDM, when I was in the private sector for a short period mm -hmm. of time. I think the president's name was Phil Odin at the time. He came in and he said he's going to change the company culture from one that was predominantly federal government contracting to private sector within a couple of years. And everybody thought, well, he's nuts. But he did it. Well, how did he do it? Because he changed the policies. He changed the reward system. And he changed the processes to implement his policy. And the people who did not budge, he got rid of them. And he did that within a couple of years. So it's, it's very possible. And inside the intelligence community, I was able to achieve this in a couple of different instances on smaller levels within organizations. But it is, it's very, uh, it's almost uh, self-suicide to do that because once you change the culture inside an intelligence community organization, you must leave that organization. And, and the reason why is because you are viewed as a virus. You are viewed as a, an infected virus like COVID that's there to harm the organization because now you've oh. upset you've upset years of the bureaucracy. But <clears throat> if you leave the organization, of which I counsel people who do this, if you leave the organization, then those who are behind can say, hey, yeah, well, we defeated the evil person. We defeated the virus. They're gone now. And now they can more fully accept what was put in place. And they say, well, now we've created this. We've done this. So now it's they who have changed the culture, right? Not someone else. And so that it's a very interesting dynamic, but it's all part of the cognitive war. That's that at a more organizational level. So basically, I mean, in the if we take the uh, I think uh, IC community as example, that US IC community now is still kind of uh, inflexible, right? So they, they don't want to change and they, they don't want other uh, force come out to change the working style or working flow, right? Yeah, yes. And so yeah. that's that's so, that's a big challenge. It's it's very hard to compete in there. So just toe the line. And if you don't toe the line, then you're not going to get promoted. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be advanced. And so now with the politicization also, then you must also start reporting in the slant that we want you to report. Don't don't report us the facts that are there. Make sure they're reported in the slant that we want you to report it in. Yeah, so this rewarding uh, system, uh, rewarding mechanism, and the whole bureaucratic uh, style restricted the development of the U.S. IC community. Basically, in now it has very uh, big problem because after decades, and our whole world has already developed into now it's really the informative uh, world. So. That's why now when U.S. facing the competition with not only competition, actually, it is the a very aggressive communist China plus Russia against the U.S., the, this kind of weakness become more and more uh, obvious. And it, if you let it uh, keep going on, it will definitely damage America's uh, Amer Americans national security uh, as it has already been done in the uh, last three years during the pandemic, to be honest. And also when we see the, this kind of uh, problem happen in US, we wanna compare it with what happened in China. The more I understand the Chinese Communist Party's inter uh, intelligence community through our sources and also more and more evidence, the more we see 
in as a Chinese, initially I thought our government uh is a very uh big but uh also uh stereotypes rigid uh government. However, turns out it just uh, in some aspect, for example, they become very rigid when people want to get some welfare from the government. They basically, they, there is no response. But when they talk about the reach to the the people who uh, the the department which will work for CCP, especially for the Taiwanese, now we mean Xi Jinping's benefits, they can move very fast. They they have the very flexible mechanism. And their rewarding system is not only rely on the rewards, they also give you punishment. So that makes them can uh, motivate their agents uh, in a more efficient way. And they actually give very uh, big freedom for their agents to conduct the work. For example, uh, we can say that China always gives them the uh, instruction using the, like for example, the news press or the people's daily, this kind of media and also Xi Jinping's speech. And their global agents, they even don't need to go to special, uh, special channels to receive this kind of instruction. For example, the, Xi Jinping talk about COVID come from nature. We should uh, defend America. America, if the Americans want to get the investigation on COVID origin, then they make it political. Uh, they are so uh, bad to us. They are anti-Chinese. And so after that, their agents will receive this information and they have their freedom to based on this kind of principle to launch their own operation. They can go to media, they can go to think tank, they can promote this kind of propaganda, and also they can uh, like lobby, they also can persecute witnesses like me, and they, they even sue me as anti-Asian because I'm talking about CCP's origin of COVID-19. So these are very, uh, very, I mean, I would say this is a diversity in their operations in their reactions, which means when they have the, this kind of principle, they can use whatever they can. I quote CCP's own word, it's called using the global resources for the purpose. And then they can use so many people in the people's world to change the whole situation. So you see the policy is what CCP gives them. The people are this people all over the world and their network. The process is very flexible with a lot of freedom. So the culture of CCPs, uh, especially their agents network, their uh, the teams campaign on the cognitive tactics can be totally different uh, versus what we see in America. And uh, finally, when American government wanted the uh, intelligence to understand what CCP is doing, it will take huge efforts because they need to follow one by one. They need to understand why they're doing this and understand their motive and figure out their um, like thinking or personal tactics. So that is a huge waste of American IC resource. So this kind of competing and uh, all the, uh, this kind of 
uh, fight is really uh, imbalanced, really asymmetric. And I would say that uh, compared to um, Chinese government style in this uh, field, we can say that America is definitely not the part have any advantage. Yeah, so so some really good really good points there. So let me let me uh, talk about a few things here to unpack what what you've said as well. So you mentioned before the the intelligence community and the U.S. very reactive. So that's another aspect that I pointed out in the paper is we we, we have to move to a proactive stance because again industrialized culture is built around indications and warning. What are indications and warning? They're identifying something that happens and giving warning ahead of time. Wow. Well, our intelligence community has failed. Time and again on that, whether it's 9-11, whether it was the China flu, COVID. Also, that same bias we talked about was exemplified in Afghanistan for 20 years. Is cognitive dis dissonance. The same thing we tried 20 years, kept on killing the ISIS bad leaders, not realizing the whole war was cognitive. But China has some major weaknesses, as you point out, with the, with the way they reward system, but penal systems. They have some major inherent weaknesses, as we saw with the demonstrations against the COVID lockdowns. But because we are not set up to proactively address those weaknesses, China moves on with any impedance whatsoever. And when you take a look at the construct, you so say you have a billion people, out of that, you probably have a million different agents related to the uh, China government pressing this cognitive war. So once you say, as she did, they send out the message to the people, even if the message has poor tradecraft, with the million people pressing that message across multiple platforms worldwide, it has a dramatic effect. And so that's where I find it astounding that, that our community members ask you to validate and verify what you're saying versus the way traditional intelligence works is take the information in, validate what the source said. And then if you have questions about the validity, go back and ask the source some again, but it's sort of uh, asked backwards in terms of how they're operating. So, yes, yeah, sir. So, I'll, uh, I mean, I just want to emphasize that I, pointed out the weakness I have seen because I want a mark I see can improve. It doesn't mean the people I met in US uh, uh, in this field, they, are all, they don't understand at all or they do not, nothing at all. Here, I just want to emphasize to my audience that I always say without the huge, this kind of uh, support all this kind of uh, we can say cooperation in US in every field we can't make the um, fact exposed so quickly in the past three years because we are actually facing the uh, world second largest economic entity and which is also a huge national power communist China so this is not an easy battle we are facing uh, we actually uh, in uh, we I would agree with many other people said this the COVID is a pre-war for more or um, aggressive uh, attacks and actions launched by uh, Chinese Communist Party uh, against America and the Western countries. But here, yeah, let me uh, go back to the topics we are talking about that. When we talk about their weakness, we 
doesn't mean it doesn't mean we need to let America, uh, I see uh, community and other field learn from China and to uh, like adopt the Chinese style. That is totally the wrong direction. We means actually absolutely. We, yeah, what we means we want to understand their thinking when we treat them, no matter as competitor or enemy, no. But and also we should know China treat America as an uh, enemy, not friend at all. And it's really like when we want to study the gorilla, it's the best thing is you go to the forest and to learn, stay with the gorillas to understand the gorillas. Style, uh, life uh, style and their behaviors, their emotions, and they learn to how to uh, communicate with gorillas. If not, you just stay here that, okay, we follow the protocol. Let's see, will the gorilla some reaction will fit our protocol one to standard two, and then we can generate the conclusion. So that actually won't work. You just sit there. You know the gorilla is as what you thought, you imaged, and it's not a real gorilla. So that yep. that's what. Yeah. Well, no, when, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I, so I very much agree with you. But so to to rehone your point. So the intelligence community is full of a lot of great professionals who take a lot of risk to get things done. Yeah. So what what I'm talking about, what you're talking about, is there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. Yes. Okay. And and although you're saying this, you may find yourself there's some cultural black backlash because, you know, what is this outsider coming in and telling us how we should do our business? I mean, that's how they think, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But that's where I've been uh, in several different IC organizations, most of the, the big five over my career, and I've worked through the different cultures. And so they have to take some good critical analysis of what's wrong with them. And in most cases, they're not willing to do that. And, and the leadership's not willing to do that. And that's why there needs to be a structural overhaul of our national security apparatus because it's become too bureaucratized, too uh, stovepiped, the titanium cylinders of sub-excellence. And it remains too reactive, uh, too focused on technology. Technology is not the problem. Okay, the problem is defining the problem. In this case, understanding we're in a cognitive, not kinetic war. And so we have to change our production lines and it has to be in a way that Dr. Yen and others can feed into their relevant information so we can react in a timely manner. Otherwise, uh, the next disaster, we already lost a million Americans based on our lack of ability to uh, alert against the China flu. To Dr. Yen's point, how many million will we lose next time because of China's next aggression that we for, forgot or cannot see? Yes, and also I want bring still bring back to the your uh, definition about culture because I really like it. When we talk about policy, people, process, I would say that in this uh, definition, people is definitely uh, the key factor because people can make the policy change and the people can make the progress going forward or stay there, do nothing. And people is, a, I mean, we are all people. We have our own thinking. We have our own emotion. We have our own personal experience. Altogether, these are the very flexible factors. If you can use it well, this can change the culture dynamically and also can 
improve this culture to the um or say the we should say the correct uh direction to improve it to make it evolved and if you misuse this kind of factors like how communist china is doing they basically when we talk about cognitive war they are using people also as a key factor they want to fundamentally change people's cognition and this can change and also they can manip, uh, manipulate their emotion by understanding the, these individuals they can uh, trigger them they can uh, induce them to do the things to mislead them to make the wrong decision and the wrong judgment to achieve their own purpose and so when we talk about cognitive war, when we talk about the uh, competing with China, fighting against the China, when we talk about I think uh, systems improvement, I think always we should focus on people. And uh, I do hope we could discuss more about people and the related factor which can uh, affect people uh, based on the cognitive war. Uh, this field in the future discussion with you. And uh, thank you so much, Edward, because of the limitation of our conversation. Uh, I think now we uh, we have to end our episode now, but I do want to give you another 30 seconds to add additional opinions and before we end this episode. Well, thank you, Dr. Yen. And on policy process and people, the good thing about that model is that you can refine, change, or replace any one of the three at any time to then make, make change and drive it. But thank you very much for having me on. I look forward to future discussions. Thank you. And people is important. The way in America, we want to encourage people to do the things where people have freedom, have our own thinking, have our capacity. While in communist countries, they're totally anti-human. They use people as a chess, a chess piece on the chess Game. So that's a fundamental difference.